like to say, Tommy? One, two, three. Go, Tommy! Grief can't be all negative and sad. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Good Days, Bad Days podcast. I'm Rachel Vani, and I am so proud to introduce you to a very dear friend of mine, Brittany Sandoval. In this episode, we talk about the miscarriage of her first daughter, Unity, as well as dealing with the challenges of having two daughters with fatty oxidation disorder and her subsequent diagnosis of lupus and living day to day with a chronic illness. She has so much to share and she's just such an incredible person. And so I'm very excited to share with you her story as well as uh, there was so much that we talked about. I decided to turn it into a two-parter. So Brittany's story will be on episode three and four, and I hope that you enjoy. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking with me. I mean, it's such a weird thing because I feel like me and you know each other so, so, so well because we've been through so many things in the last few years. Yeah, tons. Um, Enough to last a lifetime, I think. Um, And so I'm really excited to bring you on and your story is just amazing. I really... You. you are someone who I have pulled so much strength from in, in the way that you've handled things over the last few years. And so to have you on and share that with other people is so huge. So thank you. Um, you have no idea how much it means to hear you say that and vice versa. You have been such a rock for me in all kinds of crazy scenarios as well. So I was absolutely honored when you asked for me to join because it means so much. Oh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> me too. I'm all tearing up already. <laughs> um, you know, I let's kind of start off with people who may not know your story um, and how, when we'll kind of get into how we met, but okay. when I guess would you say was the beginning of when you, you started to experience that feeling of grief or loss? Like, tell me kind of from the beginning. Um. So, I mean, I feel like in the beginning, everybody has these moments that they thought were, you know, incredibly difficult or loss or grief and from losing a goldfish or whatever when you're little. But um, I feel like my first really big moment of experiencing a true grief and loss was with the miscarriage of our first daughter. So my husband and I were newly married. Um, I had just been diagnosed with endometriosis about two months before we got married and we're told that it may be difficult to conceive. We may have uh, recurrent miscarriages and we wouldn't really know what that journey would look like until we were in the midst of it. And we were young. I was only 20 at the time of the diagnosis and when we got married. And so I didn't really know what that looked like for us. And we kind of had a really difficult conversation as we had wanted to wait to have kids but with that we kind of were taken aback and that choice was kind of taken from us almost Mm -hmm. um and so we decided to start trying to get pregnant as soon as we got married and we got our first positive pregnancy test about a month after we got married so it was very quick 
And we were surprised because we were expecting it to take a very long time, as we had been told it might be difficult. And things were progressing normally, and we were young and we were healthy. Um, my first ultrasound was at, um, I was supposed to be eight weeks, but she was measuring a week small. Mm -hmm. We were told that's normal, you know, baby's development changes and everybody develops differently and she's got a healthy heartbeat and all of that. So that's not anything to worry about. So we announced to family and did all the things and we were really, really excited. Everything progressed normally. I was having totally normal pregnancy symptoms. I was so sick and had headaches and tired. And I was always told, no, those are good things because that means the pregnancy is progressing as it should. And mm -hmm you know, be thankful because that means that things are going well. So that's just kind of what we went with. And, you know, we started making plans and dreams and goals for what we wanted our family to look like. And, you know, we started to love this little person that was in my body. And, you know, you kind of just dream up of everything you expect with birth and pregnancy and all of the firsts. And so when I was 13 weeks pregnant, we went in for an ultrasound. Um, it was just our routine, like, nuchal screening to uh, make sure that everything was developing normally, and they were measuring to make sure that there weren't any some, or signs of a, uh, like, a genetic disorder, obviously. Mm -hmm. And when we went in for that ultrasound, I instantly kind of watched the, you could, like, cut the tension with a knife in the room I could watch the ultrasonographer who was supposed to be joyous and excited and showing us all these things kind of changed her demeanor and we were told that the baby did not have a heartbeat and that the baby was only measuring about eight and a half to nine weeks along mm -hmm. and um, like I said I was supposed to be between 12 and 13 weeks mm -hmm. we were shocked I had never had a bit of bleeding or spotting and I had never had a decrease in symptoms or anything so we were totally taken by surprise when we got what, the news. What did you do when they said that? Like what was your initial reaction? I you know I don't even really know. I feel like I kind of blocked that like block of time out because it was just so painful. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't cry. I didn't really react at all. I think we were just so shocked, you know? So then they brought in, you know, the doctor and, and they did more measuring and more checking and they kind of laid out our options for us. One option was to leave things be as it was and see if my body would recognize that I had miscarried because um, they were diagnosing it as a missed miscarriage, meaning that your body hadn't recognized that the baby had stopped growing. And so my body thought it was pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, sometimes it can take a few weeks for your body to catch up. But uh, obviously the baby had already been gone for probably three and a half to four weeks and my body had no idea. Then they gave us the option for me to take a pill and go home and pass things normally at home, or they gave us the option of surgically going in and removing the baby and was of the placenta and all of that um, called a DNC. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, just in that moment, like looking back now, I wish I would have felt a little bit differently. In that instant, I just wanted 
her out. Like I just wanted it to be done and over. And um, I figured that the second that, you know, she was out of my body, we could start over and we could move forward with the next thing just because I was, it was, I, I honestly, I feel terrible saying it, but I, like, I hated the thought of carrying around a dead baby for longer than I needed to. So what, what had changed now? Like, you know, hindsight 2020, what are, what would you wish that you would have done knowing what you know now? Um, I don't know if I necessarily would have changed. So we ended up going with the DNC and I ended up having her surgically removed the next morning. Um, I don't think I would have necessarily changed that decision. I do feel like that was the best decision for my body and my mental state in that moment. I think I feel like I would have just maybe processed it a little bit differently in the fact of instead of like get her out as soon as possible, I think I wish I would have kind of relished in that time more and knowing that that, you know, after she was gone, yes, my body could move forward, but that like my mind wouldn't. And that just because she was physically removed from my body did not mean that like instantly everything was over, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, but in that moment, like, how do you, you don't, you don't know how to feel. You don't know. And I, I think, I mean, it's been seven, almost seven and a half years now since all of this happened. And so, and of course, with the birth of my other children, you kind of relish in those moments. Like, I wish I would have just for a few minutes even sat down and thought about like the beauty of still having her with me physically for a few moments instead of seeing her as, you know, like just this dead thing inside of me. I wish I would have kind of taken that moment to enjoy my last few moments with her, with me physically, even though I couldn't hold her or touch her or things like that, you know. What did you guys do um, after you got the DNC to kind of mark her um, and her memory? Um, so we, we really sat down and had a a conversation about, we had already announced publicly. And so, um, all of our family knew, my friends and family knew, you know, we told everybody when we hit that like 11, 12 week mark that we're in the clear. So we really kind of struggled with how to move forward and kind of how to tell people like, actually this didn't happen or, or how, how we lost her. I was really afraid of the stigma of what people viewed as miscarriage. So many, it is such a taboo subject and such a hidden subject that people fear of talking about because they're almost worried of accepting blame that maybe if they would have done this different or if this would have been changed that, that maybe I could have carried the baby to term and, and things would have been different. And I think I even struggled with that in the beginning too. I was so worried about what other people were going to think that it took us a minute to kind of decide how we were gonna process and move forward. I think for me, obviously my miscarriage in some ways is, and other people would argue it's different than the loss of a child that's been with you for a while. And, And in ways I completely agree, but in other ways I don't. I had goals and dreams and, you know, envisioned this, this person and everything that they were going to be in my life. And then for them to be instantly gone, even though I only had her with us for three short months, like that's a decent amount of time to love someone, you know? And so, um, 
I decided that I didn't want to take our loss. I wanted to take our loss as a way to bring about and opening the conversation that miscarriage is okay. Yeah, of course. And I think it's so beautiful that you guys named her as well. And, um, and you routinely, you know, bring her up. And I feel like that really helps a lot of people who have been through miscarriage. Because yeah, it's, it's something that I think everyone who's been through any sort of loss does, and that is compare losses. Maybe not everyone does it, but I think it comes up a lot, right? No matter what, whether you've lost a parent, a sibling, a child, um, miscarriage, which I, I personally think is, is, is losing a child. Um, it's, it's those same feelings of loss deep within you. I think when you're a mom, especially not to say that dads don't go through it too, but when you've grown that child inside of you, it's, it's a different feeling. Um, I think I think it's just a different process, processing mm -hmm. of what happened and what occurred and, and especially when you're a mom and you're physically dealing with this loss, especially with a miscarriage, mm -hmm. it's so much the a different, it's not just a loss of, you know, your child and your baby, but like now people don't realize that a miscarriage is, is essentially you're delivering this baby. You have cramping, you have bleeding, you have sore breasts, you're still dealing with the symptoms of pregnancy until those hormones leave your body. So even though I had the DNC and she was immediately evacuated from my body, I bled for four weeks after the procedure, just as if I had given birth. My breasts were still sore. I was still tired and having headaches. I still woke up with morning sickness every day for almost probably two weeks as those hormones started to decrease as the HCG leaves your system. And so I think that's not really something I knew in that moment when I decided that, that I figured, oh, as soon as the DNC is over, like this is done and over. And it's, it's not. And so, I mean, I think that was also difficult every day, waking up, feeling like I needed to puke my guts up for no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, it was easier to kind of manage that when I had a reason for feeling sick and I had a reason for being tired and now to wake up every day and not only emotionally feel that, but physically feel that mm -hmm. knowing that I was feeling that way for not even having the joy of having the baby at the end of it was way more difficult than I anticipated it to be at the beginning of our journey. Is there anything that, so if you were talking to your past self, going through that process of all the symptoms and everything. Is there anything that you would tell your past self now? That it is worth it. And that, and, and I, I, I tell people this a lot that, and especially when I'm talking to other moms who have experienced miscarriage or a loss of some type like this, that, and I know it sounds so cliche when you say like, it all happens for a reason, but as we get further down into, I mean, the story of our journey, I really truly feel that the reason for this baby was bringing us together. And that was honestly why we chose her name. We named our daughter Unity. And we, we do talk about her all the time. Our children know about her. Our oldest daughter says, tells people she has a big sister. Like it's, it's very much a part, her ultrasound picture, it sits on our table stand. And my parents still have an ultrasound picture of her next to all of their grandkids. And we've made it very much to a point where she is actively in our lives every day. 
she was our child and, and her, her life had a purpose, even if it was years down the line that we figured that out. Now, knowing what I've been through with my other children and, and what I'm going through with myself, that I would have told myself that it's not without, the struggle is not without reward in some really screwed up sort of way, you know? Even the struggle, I mean, in certain ways, it, it did give me a different light and in a lot of different ways. And, and that loss kind of helped me learn how to grieve and kind of prime my, you know, body and emotions and, and how I deal with things for my upcoming struggles. Like I kind of had already, I had experienced loss and grief in, in a certain way. And so I was able to take that and but I was able to take like bits and pieces of what I learned from that loss and grief and, and knowing that that loss and grief was okay mm-hmm. and, and kind of using that toward, you know, the next few steps. And, and I think, I feel like that's one thing that of miscarriage and I, I've made myself such an advocate and I'm so open about it that like, I cannot believe how many women around me have experienced a loss or miscarriage and they don't talk about it and they don't vocalize it and they don't allow themselves to feel that grief almost, you know, because they feel like they don't, they didn't earn that grief because they hadn't birthed the baby or they hadn't raised that child for years or, you know, they hadn't, I don't know, held that baby in their hands. So it, it, they don't, they don't get to, or haven't earned the right to, to grieve. And I feel like that is just so wrong it is in in how miscarriage is perceived and it really bothers me it's okay it's okay to talk about it it's okay to tell people that you have experienced a loss and everybody grieves differently and if you're not ready to talk about it in that moment when it, things are happening that also doesn't mean that you can't talk about it later and that you can't be open about that loss later either yeah and i think too with any loss especially a child there's always this element of grief uh guilt that goes along where you know you're you're the mom like you're supposed to make things better you weren't supposed to let anything bad happen to your child whether they were in the womb or outside and so when stuff happens you feel this like immense guilt and i think a lot of people that are have lost a, a baby while they're still in the womb they have this even intense more guilt because the the baby wasn't outside in the outside world so of course it has to be my fault because it was only my body that it was exposed to and so it's something i did wrong where it's like no 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 it was not unless you're sitting there doing tons of drugs and <laughs> drinking or something like that like yeah odds are it was just something it just wrong. happened and yeah. i mean it- they say one in four pregnancy ends in miscarriage. And I mean, I have three living children and and one that I lost. And so for me, that statistic 100% stands true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, if you look at all of the, the children out in the world, I mean, we could literally have 25% more of them. It just happens. And it's not anything, there's not anything that could or couldn't have been done. And I think when I talk to moms now who have experienced miscarriage, because I do have a lot that reached out to me, even if their story is not public, because I have been so vocal about our loss, that I often get messages like, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing a miscarriage and we hadn't announced. And so I don't know how to grieve in 
in silence. Like, I mean, essentially that's what you're doing. You're going through this grief process, you know, personally, while your public life is still going about as normal. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I often, I often hear women saying that, oh, well, we don't want to announce our pregnancy until we know that like it's going to stick or things are going well or, and um, I mean, we did that with our first baby. We waited, we knew weeks and weeks before we even told our family because that same exact stigma. And so I sometimes feel like it was like a sticking it to and your beliefs type of situation where it's like, oh, now you've announced, now things are going to go wrong because that's how the world works. But it's given me an entire new, different perspective. And with our subsequent children, we announced like six weeks, like right away, because honestly, for me, even though it was so difficult to like re-announce, you know, the loss and to, to tell our family about the loss, there was also such a healing in that, in the fact that I could be vocal. And when I was not up to talking to people in public and I was not up to, you know, dealing with people or when I was, had tears in my eyes looking at another pregnant mom or I literally like cried holding somebody's baby at a church event one time <laughs> because, you know, like it wasn't, there, there was no question. Like everybody knew everybody was supportive and loving. And, and so um, my husband and I decided that after that happened, that we would always announce right away because in case we experienced another loss, having that support was so helpful. It was so helpful, you know, and just having that love. Like I feel like in, in those moments, especially, I mean, like you talked about in the first episode, which I've listened to and it's incredible, by the way. Thank you. Uh, You talk about how right after the loss that that's when you have the most help and the most people rallying around you and, and to take advantage of that. And that's honestly, I was so thankful that we, we had gone through our journey in public because in that moment, I wasn't experiencing loss without that rally. And I can't imagine, and I have so much love and heartache for the women who are having to grieve in silence and without being able to reach out to people or have that conversation. And that's been a big reason why I am so open about it because I have been able to be a support person for so many women now who have experienced that loss. I think too, we were just talking about how experiencing that type of loss kind of primed you, like you were saying, not prime, but you know what I mean, prepared you, it it primes you for dealing with other difficulties in your life. So let's talk about uh, when your uh, second daughter Sawyer was born. Okay. We got pregnant, I think within two months, it was pretty quick. I actually found out on April Fool's Day that I was pregnant with Sawyer, which is kind of like (laughs) such a weird a weird thing. Um, Michael thought I was joking with him when I told him that I was like, oh, I'm pregnant. He's like, that's such a screwed up April's Fool's joke. And I was like, but I'm not joking. I'm really, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great. We told everybody literally right away, like the next day. Um, I obviously didn't want to tell anybody on April Fool's Day because it's not a joke and I didn't want it to be perceived as one. But we told family right away and we we were incredibly anxious. And I don't think that was something I was expecting. Dealing with pregnancy after loss was a whole nother level of, I don't even know, fear and anxiety 
and and even after I passed, like I mean, obviously in the beginning, the it, every day was like a fear of is she still alive? Is she still alive? Is she still thriving? You know, is she still growing? It was it was terrifying. You know, it, it just it genuinely was. I did not get to enjoy any of my pregnancy. I feel like you know because I was just so scared, and I feel like because you know, how late we were with our loss with unity that I couldn't even have a breather after that 12 week, you know, that that fear extended throughout my pregnancy, even the second that until the second she was born. And then, you know, everything happened after that. So that was ripped right away. But, you know, every second was horrifying and terrible and scary. And I couldn't even tell myself as I'm like, you know, gripping the sides of the toilet, puking my toenails up that it's all going to be worth it. You know, like you're going to have a baby at the end because that wasn't promised to me. And I, I, that naivety and that everything you're feeling is good was completely stripped from me from that, for that second pregnancy. And so I think in that way too, you know, it, it was another loss of that that, like I said, you're kind of like your ignorance of regarding the situation of once you've experienced a loss, getting pregnant after that loss is not this beautiful, joyous, exciting thing. It's not. And even with our second and third baby, every pregnancy was anxiety ridden and terrifying because you just don't, I just didn't know. And it wasn't promised to us. A baby was not promised at the end. With Sawyer, I had a really complicated pregnancy. Um, I actually started bleeding at eight weeks along. And considering I had no symptoms of miscarriage with Unity, when I started having spotting in early pregnancy, my world was not okay. I was convinced she, I was miscarrying. I was convinced she wasn't going to live, that that was a, a sign or a symptom of you know, another missed miscarriage. Mm-hmm. I was a wreck. Um, my poor husband, <laughs> he was such a champ through all of it. Um, such a great support system. And I remember the night I was actually at work when I started bleeding. I literally like laid on the bathroom floor. Mind you, I'm a nurse. I work at a hospital. Laid on the bathroom floor in a hospital bathroom, bawling, because I thought this was the end, like that we were going to have to do this all over again so quickly after we had just lost unity. And I ended up just having a subchorionic hemorrhage and was on kind of like a modified bed rest, pelvic rest for the first half of my pregnancy. But she held on strong and she was doing well and growing well. And my doctor was absolutely incredible and did extra ultrasounds for me at every appointment, just so I could see the flicker of that heartbeat to like show myself that it was still there. And I ended up getting like one of those home Dopplers and I would literally check for her heartbeat every single day because I was just, I I wasn't promised, you know, I wasn't promised that. It was difficult. It was really difficult pregnancy and I struggled with anxiety and um, like prenatal depression big time. And and I think I would have given myself now what I know a little bit more time between my loss and getting pregnant again to kind of give myself more time to grieve that loss. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I did a lot of my grieving for unity during my pregnancy with Sawyer. Which is and not I, helpful with all the hormones and all of that. It's very triggering. And I was in such a dark place. And I think like, once again, my doctor was amazing and was always checking in with me. Like, how are you doing mentally? Like, 
it was difficult. It was really difficult. Um, I went into preterm labor with Sawyer. I ended up having preeclampsia. I was on bed rest for a majority of my pregnancy. Um, I had hyperemesis. I was so sick. And it was just like, it was just not a good time. So I ended up having to be induced with her at 38 weeks. And of course, in the fashion of pregnancy and my whole world falling around me, it was the most horrific experience of my life. Uh, it was a 54-hour failed induction that ended in a C-section, which was so against everything that I wanted in a birth and a delivery. And, you know, I was so angry for so long. Like, I experienced a loss. I had this horrific pregnancy, and now I can't even have the delivery that I wanted. Like, I was just so angry at everything. You know, I had my C-section, and they pulled her out, and she was perfect. She looked perfect. She cried perfect. She had great APGAR scores. I ended up having an infection, so she had to get some antibiotics after birth. But even the hospital is amazing about her letting her be with me in the hospital afterwards. And it was so difficult in that moment to look past everything that I had been through to like see the light, but like I could finally feel it. You know, I was finally seeing it. You felt like you could finally breathe a little bit, like she's safe, she's out, I can see her and like check on her, making sure that she's okay. Like I wasn't relying on a, a Doppler or, you know, like a kick to make sure that things were fine. Like it was, it was such a relief to be able to lay my eyes on her and be like, okay, look, she looks fine. I mean, little did I know, little did I know. <laughs> and, and, and on that note, so you went home with her. She was really struggling to breastfeed well. She um, was a really sleepy baby, wasn't really latching well. So I was pumping and expressing and mostly um, bottle feeding her with breast milk at that time. And at six days old, we actually got a call. So I was sitting on my couch holding my beautiful newborn baby. Everything had been great. And it was a Friday night at like seven o'clock. And I got a call from, you know, like that generic hospital number that ends in like 1000, which now for me is like such a PTSD moment to see that like number pop up. I'm like, oh God, like that is never a good number to get a call from. Especially seven o'clock at night. On a Friday, right? Like this is odd, but I also worked at the hospital. So I was like, maybe there it was, maybe it's just some weird coincidence. And instantly they were like, hi, we're looking for Brittany Sandoval, um, the mother of Sawyer Sandoval. And I was like, what? Um, I said, this is her. Um, how can I help you? And they said, ma'am, uh, we've been trying to reach you throughout the day, but the phone number that we had um, in our system was one number off and wasn't correct. We've been trying to get in contact with you all day. We got Sawyer's newborn screening results back and they are abnormal. I, I think at that point in time, I didn't even know what that meant. I I, I mean, I remember they pricked her heel and stuff like that in, in the hospital and, you know, just part of like the regular routine screening, but it, it never, ever occurred to me that like, that was a life-saving test that was going to, you know, not only change our entire life, but save my daughter's life, essentially. So the person who called me wasn't even our primary doctor. It was some on-call doctor who didn't know us, didn't know our story or, or what we had been through. Um, they really, I don't even think they had the results in front of them or really knew what it was or what they were looking at. And so they told me that it had came back abnormal for a fatty acid oxidation disorder. They didn't specify which one or what that meant. Um, so just to kind of let people know, what is a fatty oxidation disorder? 
So um, fatty acid oxidation disorder is a disorder that inhibits the way that the body breaks down fat. So in um, a normal person, you know, anytime our body is stressed or we overwork ourselves, or we're ill or we go longer than four hours without eating, our body breaks down fat in our, in our body, you know, and um, uses it as a form of energy to keep your blood sugars up and supply your body for the, you know, the ATP going way back to biology that is needed to, for your body to perform necessary functions. When you have a fatty acid oxidation disorder, there is a, it's a wide umbrella with a lot of different diagnoses underneath of it. And, and each one brings its own different struggles and in ways that it impairs the body. And in that moment, they hadn't told us what we were looking at. So I went on a Google spree, which they told me not to do. But I mean, when somebody tells you, oh, your child has this, um, but don't Google anything. Like, of course, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to Google. And also you're a nurse. So like you have this innate, not only you have this experience and knowledge about, you know, medical problems and diseases, but you're all kind of curious. You're like, what exactly. Is this? exactly. Like, what does this look like for us? And so, you know, when I went off the, the Google bandwagon of, you know, everything from short chain fatty acid, all the way down to the gamut of, you know, like multiple acetyl-CoA dehydrogenase and all that, you know, where it's, literally anything and everything and, and how different each of these disorders and these patients presented and, and they didn't tell me what we were dealing with so you know it was terrible but like you, you like pick one and you're like oh I hope that's the one because it doesn't seem like as life-threatening or as severe as some of the others which I mean now obviously that I know that's not the truth but in that moment you know when you're just reading on google the symptoms and the way that it affects certain individuals, you're like, oh God, I hope it's this one. I hope it's this one. You know, I hope it's something that's not going to affect her forever or, or something we can really manage. And in that same phone call, they told me to not let her go longer than two hours without eating. And if at any point I couldn't wake her up to eat or she wasn't responding well, um, to bring her to the emergency room right away. And they said on Monday morning at 8 a.m., we need you here at the office. We're going to draw some repeat blood tests and kind of get an idea of what we're looking at. Can I just say that was like the worst freaking weekend of my life? <laughs> like, yeah. Talk about like you're, you're a new parent. You have a, a baby. You've already experienced a loss. So your anxiety is heightened. And now you're told that your child may have or likely have. Yeah. Right. Likely has this life-changing giant issue and you're and they like, tell you in like a two minute phone call while I'm in my living room like I'm not at a hospital I'm not anywhere safe like if something happened what am I what am I gonna do I'm a nurse but like what am I gonna do I have nothing at home I don't even know what to do you know and and like I said I didn't know what we were dealing with really so I, ha I had no idea what what's fatigue or you know being tired or difficult to wake up when you're dealing with a newborn who sleeps 23 hours a day like what's normal versus what's not. I have no idea, you know, this is my first baby. Like, I mean, any baby, like even a healthy baby, you're like, I have no idea what's normal. And every kid is different. Like, is my baby sleepy or is my baby dying? Like, I have no idea. It was, it was a lot. It was a horrible weekend. Um, I pretty much just sat in the rocker in her nursery and cried and like literally held a bottle in her mouth the entire weekend because I was just, I was afraid to put her down. I was afraid to walk away. I didn't want her to die. I didn't want her to to lose her. I, I had barely just gotten over processing our, our miscarriage. I cannot imagine now that I've 
held and loved on this baby and went through all that I went through over my horrific pregnancy to lose her. Like it, I just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. And then when did you hear about her diagnosis? Like for sure. We went back for the blood work on Monday and got everything done, which was horrible to witness because they had to poke her multiple times because they had, they were doing DNA testing, obviously, on top of the labs to see for abnormalities. Um, So they had to poke her multiple times. They sent us home and we're like, good luck. Like, we'll call you when we have results. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, oh God, what am I doing? I'm not even functioning. I'm not sleeping. Like, I don't know. Well, when Sawyer was three weeks old, she ended up spiking a fever. For a normal healthy baby at that age, that's dangerous and needs to have medical treatment. For a newborn baby with a potential medical disorder that could kill her, it was incredibly scary. So we took her to the emergency room and they did all of the things that they would do to a normal baby, you know, spinal tap, IVs, blood work, all of the things, and admitted her for 48 hours for observation IV antibiotics until they could rule out that she didn't have like meningitis or some severe infection. We were there, and on our second day in the hospital, um, we still hadn't heard from the geneticist or anything like that, and they they told us it could take up to six weeks to get blood work results back. Well, it was like mid-morning. I was there by myself. My husband had left to go home to let out um, our dog and do all the things, and I kid you not, like 10 doctors all in medical lab coats walked into her room, and like it was instant. Like this isn't good. This really isn't good. Something either came back really wrong. And, and honestly, even her DNA testing really at that point wasn't on my radar because I was so just dealing with what we were dealing with acutely in that moment. Mm-hmm. I now have very well known them, but they are, were the genetic team at the time and came to inform me that um, Sawyer's genetic testing had come back and she actually was affected by a disorder called very long chain acetyl-CoA dehydrogenase deficiency or VLCAD. It was difficult because it was not the one I was hoping it was, it was, you know, Um, it's, on the spectrum of fatty acid oxidation disorders and how they affect the body, it is a little bit more on the severe side than some of the others. And so heart wrenching because it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't the right wrong. It wasn't the right terrible. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which feels so wrong to say, but I mean, in that moment I was like, dang it, like that's not which one I was hoping we were dealing with. They said, we don't really know how she'll be affected. One of her genetic mutations is a common mutation for the severe form of the disorder. And one of her other mutations has actually never been documented before in an affected individual. So we have no idea what this is going to look like or what, how this will affect her. It could hardly alter the DNA and make her some of more like a carrier, or this could make her severely affected, which was also kind of not... I mean, they tell you that you have this life-changing diagnosis. Do you want a prognosis? You know, like, okay, we're dealing with this, but what does that look like? And, and of course, it was another stab. Like, we have actually absolutely no idea. I mean, even they, even with the common mutations, I feel like they still don't really know because some no, kids... Every person is affected differently. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Not to, to go off tangent, but I know that there are two little girls that have GA2, which is what my daughter Charlie had and their sisters. And so they have this same exact mutations, but they're affected 
completely differently. One is practically normal life just with, you know, the, the diet modifications and the other is very affected, you know, has difficulties in all aspects of her life with muscle tone. And I've even seen that ring tree with my two girls. I mean, we'll, we'll get down to that, but I mean, my oldest Sawyer has it and my youngest has it even in, in their journeys thus far, what we've been through Sawyer's now six and a half and Weston, our youngest just turned one, even their journeys, like looking at their first year of life, there are obviously very similar things that have happened for both of them, but they are also very, very different in, in how they present. It's, it's not at all what we were, you know, what we were told or what we expected. They have presented completely differently. Sawyer really has struggled more with the blood sugar aspect. And now that she's getting a little bit older, we are starting to struggle more with um, the muscle breakdown side of the disorder, which is to be expected. But Weston has had much higher CK levels, still like in the high normal end of the range, but much higher than, than even what Sawyer had at that point and even now. So it's just been very interesting that, that even if they give you this diagnosis, like, oh, this is what you're looking at, really, it's, it's not really that reassuring because you have no idea what to expect. And that is a wrap on episode three. We will continue the discussion with Brittany on episode four, in which she talks more about the challenges of having two children with a metabolic disorder, as well as her diagnosis with lupus. So I hope that you can join us. Thank you so much.